You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. It is a privilege to be here with you this morning. My name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors in McDonough, and it has been a number of years since my family has been here with you, gathered together on Sunday morning. It is, um, it is great to be back with you, a privilege to gather with God's people and in a place where we had been ministered to and loved so well by so many of you. It's good to see you again. And I'm, I'm reminded this morning as... Uh, I admit to you now, I am nervous, probably more nervous than I should be, more nervous than I probably should admit that I am, and I don't know why that is. I've preached a few times in McDonough, usually um, when there was no one more skilled available, and now this morning I'm, I'm here and, um, and, and glad to be here with you and wanting to just bring God's word to us in a simple way. We're going to be looking at a simple psalm, uh, Psalm 1. Um, this morning. The last time I was here, I was thinking, was during COVID. And so usually I was on stage, I would do announcements most of the time. And I would always have Chris Brown, like enthusiastically supporting me in the front. And I would have Michael in the sound booth, critically supporting me with all the critiques I needed, telling me what I got wrong. And then usually, which all did know is it would take me like 10 takes, 15 takes to get through like the most basic thing. And, and then there'd be this point where Michael would be like, just let me do it. So that's my plan is if I have to start over a few times, then Michael may jump up here and just be like, out of the way, Jeff, let me do it. So, um, but this morning we'll, we'll, look at a, we'll look at Psalm 1 as we continue our series in the summer in the Psalms um, together as a church. And, and with that, you may remember back uh, June and a couple weeks ago when Pastor Mark was, was preaching on Psalm 2, and he, he mentioned then that some have considered that these two psalms may have been joined together into one, and uh, whether that's true or not, we don't know, but what we can say is that these two psalms together are linked in a very special way. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are uh, set this structure, this entrance, some would call them even the poetic pillars that lead us into the temple of worship of the psalms, and so we have these two thoughts that are going to be connected together in structure through the Psalms. And so uh, those are quite simply in the first in Psalm 1 that we'll be looking at today, the relationship of the righteous to the law of God, their love for the law of God. That's, you could call it a, a Psalm of the Torah, the law of God, the revelation of God, the truth and the teaching that God has given to his people as he's revealed himself to us and we love his law. So we have this psalm of the Torah. And then Psalm 2 that Mark taught us was a messianic psalm. It's a psalm of this Messiah, God's Messiah, this king who's set on a hill, this king of Zion who has come to redeem. So we see these two linked, and they're linked through the psalms in a number of places. We see the same in Psalm 18, which is a messianic psalm, and Psalm 19, which is a psalm of Torah, put together just like 1 and 2. And then again, Psalm 118, which is a messianic psalm, and Psalm 119, probably we all know the longest chapter in the Bible, and a psalm of the Torah, of our love for and, and walking in the, the law of God. And so we see this theme through um, this overarching poetic message, God's law, the response to God's law, God's king, 
and that king's reign across all of the earth. So let's begin this morning. Let's read together Psalm 1, beginning verse 1. Um, If you're able, would you stand with me as we read from God's word? Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. This morning, we're looking at a straightforward psalm. I appreciate that. It has a simple structure. It tells us very plainly about this man, this blessed man, this one who uh, the psalm describes, and it speaks of the wicked, but really only in contrast to and only to show us something about the blessed man and this happy man. And so the psalm opens with, with that phrase, blessed is the man. Oh, happy is the man. And here in Psalm 1, we see God's own description of happiness, the way of happiness, the way of blessedness. And that's the fundamental thing, right, of of the need of people today. We all want to be happy. I don't know anybody who who wants to be miserable. We, whatever we do, we might say is motivated by, by happiness, by wanting satisfaction, soul satisfaction and contentment and we want things to be going well for us. We want, to be, we want to be made happy. For the most part, um, if you're like me, I think most of us, uh, we think of happiness in regards to outward circumstances, right? That's, that's what makes something happy or not. Is, is it going well for me? Um, am I happy in my job? Am I happy? Is, are things well at home? My family, my relationships at home? Um, is our health good? What, uh, in what external ways, what circumstances do I find myself in? And so we pursue happiness. We pursue getting all these outward circumstances right, and it's a, it's a fragile state to be in because we all know, we recognize, we see it all around us. The world is broken, tragically broken. At any point, we could take all of these carefully crafted circumstances, and they could, they could just crumble beneath us, disintegrate. And then the question is, where would, our, where would our happiness lie? Nobody wants to be miserable. We pursue happiness. We're made, driven, even in that pursuit of happiness. There's something in us that says that there is something out there that our soul desires, and that if we get it, then we'll find satisfaction. We'll find contentment. We'll find happiness. It reminds me of a toddler uh, chasing bubbles. Have you ever blown bubbles for like a, a little baby in there? As, you're, as they run up and they try to pinch it, try to grab it, and it just disappears. So, so much, that's the, way that, that's the way we live our lives in pursuit of, in pursuit of happiness. I remember um, I have a, a lot of siblings, like a lot, five brothers and five sisters, and um, we, we growing up together. Um, I remember hearing this story. My older brother, my parents were, took him to one of these, uh, this was like in the early 80s, these wholesale retail clubs like a Sam's Club. I don't know what they were called then. I don't think it was Sam's Club. But it was the first one, first one in Atlanta. They went there. They had this big grand opening. And, and while they were there, uh, there was a remote-controlled car, and they put this little tray on the car, 
and on the tray they had chocolates. My brother was just barely walking, and at some point he, he saw this, and he went over there, and he got a chocolate, and he ate it, and then he was, then he was hooked. And the guy had the remote control, and he was taking my brother all around the store. And as soon as, as soon as he would stop the car, my brother would get there, toddle over, and he'd squat down to pick up a chocolate. And just as he reached down, the truck would pull away. And, he would, and pretty soon there was a whole crowd gathered to watch this baby go all the way around the store chasing chocolate. But that's kind of a picture of, of how, we might, how we might treat happiness. It's, it's just a little bit more as a little bit more of something and then I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to chase it around, and I never quite get there. What is happiness? Well, the world would say happiness is the moment right before you need more happiness. But that's not what we see here in the psalm. What we see here in the psalm is is this, this blessed man. Blessed is the man. Oh, the blessedness. Literally, oh, the happiness of this man. The psalmist can't even describe it. There's not a word in the English language that captures what the Hebrew is saying here. This is one who is entirely soul-satisfied. This is one who has found all that we are looking for. And, uh, and there's a great encouragement in that. Here we see this man who is blessed, who is happy. You can find happiness. That elusive thing that, that, that we spend our lives chasing, it can be had but it's not in the way and it's not in the circumstances of our lives that we think of, that we look to so often for that happiness. Apart from Christ, we're chasing happiness. We're either living in fear of losing our happiness or we're chasing happiness, or thirdly, maybe we're the cynic who doesn't believe happiness can exist. But apart from Christ, we're in one of those three positions. Either I'm going after it, that's usually the young person, right? I've seen the mistakes of my parents, I'm going to get it right. My life's going to be great. I'm making all the right decisions, and I'm going to be happy. And then, and then maybe, maybe, maybe you're in a position where things are going well, but there's that fear in the back of your mind, that little, that little thought, but what if? What if this all changes? What if, like Job, I were to see all of the outward circumstances of my life dissolve around me? Where would my happiness be then? And so we try to to grasp on. So what is happiness? What is it that, that God speaks when he tells us of how to be happy, when he speaks of this happy man, this blessed one? Well, first, first there's this negative description, right? So very simply, we're going to look at the blessed man, verse 1. We have a negative description. Verse 2, we have the positive. Verse 3, we have this beautiful picture of this man. So the first thing is, um, what he does not do. The first is he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Verse 1, this speaks to what he believes, that the happy man, the blessed man, is one who doesn't think the way that the world thinks. He doesn't take advice from the philosophers of the age. We don't set, he doesn't set as important the things that the world says are important. He doesn't take walk in that counsel. What he believes isn't what the world believes. And then he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. That speaks to what he does. What we believe leads to what we do. If you walk in the way, uh, in the counsel of the wicked, you'll find yourself standing in the way of sinners. Because what you believe leads to what your hands do, right? 
So he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. And when we, we see this phrase, stand in the way of sinners, we might think of like standing in opposition, but that's not what it means. You should think more along the lines of like walking in their shoes, standing in their place, being with them in that um, wickedness. So we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. If you do, you'll soon find yourself acting in the way of sinners. So that's what he does not do walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners. Thirdly, he doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. This leads to who we are. So we go from what we believe to what we do to who we are, negatively described. He's not one who scoffs and mocks God, who believes that God is one who has forgotten, who's hidden his face, who will never judge him. These are, he, he doesn't behave in this way. But what is he? His delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 19.7 says the law of the Lord is perfect, and that's his testimony. He loves the law of the Lord. Psalm 119.1 says blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. And so this man would walk in love for God's law, for all of God's teaching. These are the opposite, right, of what the wicked is doing. He believes the law of the Lord. He doesn't believe the philosophies of this age. He believes what God has said. He doesn't walk in sin, but he does what is true, and his meditation is on God's word day and night. He's continually dwelling on the word of God. He's continually thinking on the revelation of God given in, in his word. And we think of that continual meditation in day and night, not just in good times, in the morning, in the joy of life, but at night, in the difficult times, in the tribulations of life, his heart is set on and dwelling on, on the word of God. And then we have a picture, and I'm thankful for this picture because I want to, in this, not, not just like deal with our minds and the doctrine or the, the words, but like what does this look like in our lives? And, and I'm thankful the Bible uses pictures to, to show us, like here, here's what this looks like. Um, here's a picture for you. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. It's a beautiful picture. Um, it's a picture of the one who is planted by God, and that's one of the things I would say. Like, look at look here. It says he is like a tree planted. What a tree doesn't plant itself, right? It's planted by, he's planted by God. He's dug down, his roots are dug down into the soil, and he's being fed by this stream of water, this stream that is the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. He's fed by God himself, and he's growing, and he's prospering in that. A few things that it doesn't say in relation to happiness is nowhere does it say what his outward circumstances are, right? It doesn't say that everything outwardly is going well. It's his relationship to God and his relationship to the law that determines his happiness. Happiness depends, and this is, believe it or not, the main point. This is what I want us to walk away from. And my notes, to be honest with you, are a jumbled mess. And, and so I was talking to Michael before, and he was like, what's the main thing you want people to hear? This is it. This is the main thing that, that I want us to hear. Happiness is not based on our circumstances. Happiness is based on our relationship with our creator. 
Your happiness is not based on the circumstances of your life. That's the lie of the devil. That is the lie that has been here from the garden is God doesn't have what's good for you in mind. And you will be happier if your circumstances were this. That's the lie of the world. Get these things right and you'll be happy. And it's just that. It's an empty lie. It's a chasing that never satisfies. No, happiness, friends, brothers and sisters, your happiness can rest solely in your relationship to God and his righteousness. He made you, he created you, and he created you to be in right relationship with him. And that right relationship was destroyed by sin and the fall. And you and I are full of sin, corrupted. We, we prove it every day, don't we? And we certainly see it in our own hearts. But in Christ, we find that that relationship is restored. That we have a righteousness that's not our own. And we have a happiness and a joy, a soul satisfaction that comes not from the circumstances that surround us, but comes from our relationship to God. That's the testimony of believers through the ages. That's always been the thing that has been weird about Christians, right? Is that their happiness, their state of contentment and soul satisfaction doesn't have anything to do with their circumstances. That's how they sing in the fire and the flames of persecution. That's how they sing while imprisoned and in jail. That's how believers rest in the goodness of God despite the circumstances of our life because we have a right relationship with the one who made us. Jonathan Edwards in his very first sermon that he preached said, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, our children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. We were made, you and I, to be in happy, right relationship with God. And now, in Christ, and only in Christ, can we find that happiness, that restoration uh, for, our, for our souls. So how is that? How is it that you and I, when you look at these first three verses, as I was, read through this blessed man, do you have this sense of, that's not, like, I, I don't know that fully. Like, that, I know that partly, yes, but, but I don't always delight in God's word. I certainly have walked in the counsel of the wicked. I certainly have at times stood in the way of sinners, and my heart is full of, of it can be full of scoffing, even at God. Like, th these are sins that aren't absent from our hearts. We are all sinners who uh, deserve condemnation. None of us deserves to be happy, right? That's maybe another lie of the world is, is you deserve to be happy. You don't. Your relationship with God is broken. You're a sinner. The, you've been plunged into uh, rebellion. You're, you've rebelled against God and been plunged into uh, condemnation by that rebellion. 
We don't deserve to be happy. But within this, and you may have already seen this in these first three verses, we see Jesus Christ, right? He is the blessed one. He is this man. This is Jesus. This is a messianic psalm. It speaks of God's law, but it speaks too of Christ. It speaks of the Messiah, this, this one that is, that is explicitly talked about in uh, Psalm 2. And so you and I, when we read Psalm 1, we can say, we have not uh, done these things, but Christ has. Christ is the one who perfectly walked, never in the counsel of the wicked. Christ never, not once, stood in the way of sinners. Christ never, not once, scoffed at God. He obeyed perfectly. He loved God's law perfectly. He did all that we failed to do perfectly. And in Christ, he is a tree planted by the streams of water. And we see in Revelation, if I can find it, Revelation 22, at the end of, uh, at the very end of God's revealed word, Revelation 22, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants, that's you and I, will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no more tribulation. There will be no more sorrow. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the promise. This is the tree of life. This is the, that, that um, leaf that does not wither is the fruit that heals the nations. It's the work of Christ on our behalf. So you and I, as we look at the second half of this chapter, verses uh, four through six, as it speaks of the wicked, we can be reminded that this is who we once were, but in Christ, we have been restored to a right relationship with God. And so now we can be this happy man, this happy woman with a relationship with God that, that um, is soul satisfying. So what of the wicked? The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The second part of this picture, we have a tree planted by the, the, the river and we have the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What a, what a striking contrast, this picture. You have, you have a tree and you have chaff. And we know chaff is like it's the, what's left behind after the, the wheat kernel is taken out, right? You have this dry husk of nothing. It's good for nothing. It's dead. There's no life in it at all. It's piled up. And what's it reserved for? It's reserved for fire. It's reserved for judgment. There's no fruit in it. There's no usefulness in it. There's no life in it. It's just a pile of chaff. Brothers and sisters, the wicked, those who are outside of Christ, are like this chaff. And I think too often we think we're all trees and it's just what kind of tree are you? The Christian is this fruitful tree. Maybe I'm a little less fruitful tree. No, 
You're either in Christ, who is and an this fruitful tree, or you are this dried chaff reserved for judgment. There's no in-between. That's all of the story of the Bible, is this one or the other, the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness, chaff or tree. In each respect, the, the kingdom of the sun or the kingdom of, uh, of Satan, there's no in-between, there's no kind of. There's no adding on a little bit of life to the, to the end of your life. This is um, a, a stark contrast. The tree of life with fruit and water and soul satisfaction and the chaff. Let's look, though, at Psalm. I wasn't kidding about my notes. I'm sorry. Uh, Psalm 10, verses 3 to 11. And let's look at the wicked. <laughs> it's good. We can... Um... <laughs> it's a good psalm. So. Psalm 10, verse 3. For the wicked boasts of the desire of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. And his thoughts are... There is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God is forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. So, brothers and sisters, this is this picture. And, and a couple things just to, to point out in contrast um, verse 5, his ways prosper at all times. You see, outward circumstances don't dictate the final end of man, right? If you're just looking at this guy, his, he's prospering. He's full of pride. He thinks he's got everything, the world by the tail. In fact, that's the whole point. He's crushing and oppressing. He's, he's full of sin and wickedness. He's scoffing. In verse 11, his, he says in his heart, God's forgotten He's hidden his face. He'll never see it. If you want to know what it is to sit in the seat of scoffers, that's it. Verse 11 is scoffing at the one who created him. He thinks he has it all. He thinks that he's prospering. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit. Verse 7, and even backing up, verse 6, he says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. He's a proud man. He doesn't believe there's a judgment coming. He doesn't believe he's chaff, and he doesn't believe there's a fire that's coming. And that, that he will have to face the God who created him. But the wicked, we know from God's word, the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The end of the wicked is destruction. 
and judgment. The end of those who are outside of Christ is not prosperity. It's not uh, happiness. It doesn't matter what those external circumstances may be. The way of the one who is outside of Christ is to perish. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Brothers and sisters, our hope has to be in the Jesus, the perfect blessed man. He's the only way of salvation. He's the only one who walked not in the counsel of the wicked. He's the only one who didn't stand in the way of sinners, who didn't scoff at God, who delighted perfectly in God's law and who meditated on it day and night. He's the tree of life. He's the only one that can give your life happiness and soul satisfaction. If you're seeking it anywhere else, it's a vapor and it won't be found to be true. But in Christ Jesus, in right relationship with God, we can know happiness. We can be satisfied. And I think one of the challenging things for me to think about was, in light of that, thinking back to Psalm 67, how is it that I pray? Because I'll be honest with you, most of my time praying and most of my thoughts are spent around my circumstances and not knowing and loving and dwelling with um, with. God, not having Christ himself. And so I would challenge us this morning to consider and to think on what what is it that we value? What is it that we, where is it that we put our hope and our, our rest? Is it in the finished work of Jesus Christ or is it in the circumstances? Do we follow Christ because he gives us bread? Because we think, oh, well, I have all these outward Outward things are going well, so yeah, I'm happy to go to church. I'm happy to add that on. I'm happy to confess Christ. But when persecution comes, when, when hard things come, when, when there's a struggle, when circumstances aren't going well, how do we, what do we believe then? Because the, the, the Christian life, it's not this like Pollyanna, like everything is wonderful in the world. The world is tragically broken, right? Like, like it's not that we don't suffer, there's real suffering in this world. There's real hurt and pain. There's real sorrow and death. There's real hardship. There's real trials. And, 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 we, and we suffer under those. But we do it with this hope of a greater glory, not considering that those are even worth mentioning in light of the glory that is to be received in Christ Jesus. So uh, as you and I walk together in this, in this life, would we encourage one another? Would we encourage one another to look to Christ Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has saved us, not looking outwardly at our, at our circumstances for our happiness, not looking around us for our satisfaction, but looking to our creator, the one who made us. As Michael uh, taught us, at least in McDonough, I think here as well, did he bring a coffee maker on stage? No. He did in McDonough, and, and he talked to, like, the, the coffee maker, the best way to understand how to use it is to go to the one who created it, right? And so in the, in the same way, God's law is good for us. God's ways are right for us. He created us. He made us to be happy. God didn't, I think, we have this idea that, that God's law is oppressive, right? That's the lie of, of the devil. God's law is oppressive and keeps you from happiness. He's just, he's just this mean guy who, who's making up rules. No, God created us and he made us to love him 
and to be in right relationship with him. And if we follow his laws, we find in them soul satisfaction because we're walking in the way that we were created to walk in. Look to Christ Jesus. Look to him who alone can save. We can't save ourselves. We can't plant ourselves. We can't make ourselves fruitful. We can't work on our own to to somehow merit God's good favor. But Christ Jesus has. He is the righteous one. He is the one who has fulfilled the law perfectly. He's the one who would offer that to us and would say, I will exchange your broken law keeping for my perfect record of righteousness. You can stand before the Father as Christ himself stands before him, as the happy man, the satisfied man who is made right by the righteousness of Christ Jesus.